Praise the Lord. Do you love Jesus this morning? Amen. Well, praise the Lord, Brother Gary. I'm glad you love Jesus. I can always count on Brother Gary to give me an amen. Praise the Lord. If you're in Sunday school, now is the time for you to head out. Do you like Sunday school? I used to love Sunday school. You know, I used to be a Sunday school teacher many years ago. I used to love my kids. I love teaching Sunday school. It was so much fun. Everybody else, you're here with me this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did everyone enjoy the series that we finished up last week? Can everyone remember what it was about? Okay, that's one person. Praise the Lord. But if one person remembers, then I've done my job, right? We talked about our purpose. We talked about our identity in Christ, about how everybody has a, a purpose and a plan, amen, and, and how nobody is here by mistake. Everybody has a purpose, whether you are the person who straightens up the reserve signs on the back of the chair, just like that, or whether or not you're up the front preaching. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a role to play in the kingdom of God. Over the last four weeks, we spoke about the fact that everybody has a gift. Amen. We all have talents. We all have abilities. The question is not whether or not you have an ability or a talent. The question is, are you using it for God's kingdom or not? Amen. We have a church full of gifted individuals. Amen. And yet, so often, these gifts, these talents, they remain dormant. They don't get used for God's glory. Amen. And so, the challenge over the last four weeks was to understand that we are valuable, to understand that we are here for a purpose to understand that we have talents and abilities, and to understand that God wants us to use them for His kingdom. The enemy wants us to not use them. Amen. The enemy will seek to change our identity, to change our purpose, to diminish and devalue us. Amen. That's why He's there. Whereas God says, no, no, you are valuable. No matter what you're doing in God's kingdom, you are valuable. You are important. So that's what we talked about for the last four weeks the next little while, and, and I don't want to put a number of weeks on it because I really have no idea um, how long this is going to take. Um, I don't think it'll be any more than four or five weeks. Maybe it'll be a little bit less. But I want to talk about something that's uh, very important to our church. Um, I'm doing something a little bit different in that I don't really have notes for any of this. Um, this is all very much just um, from the Bible, and, and I've, got a, I've, got a, um, I've got a book that I'm using to help guide my thoughts as we go through this, but it's something that is absolutely vital to our church. What makes a successful church? Let me ask this for a question first of all. What makes a successful church? Anyone want to chuck some ideas at me? Unless you're from my connect group, you can't chuck ideas. What makes a successful church? Let's have some ideas from the floor. Come on. What was that? 
Everybody work together. So unity, excellent. What else makes a successful church? On time. Yeah, I like that one. On time. What else makes a successful church? A prayerful church, absolutely. What else makes a successful church? Anyone over from this side of the room? God-fearing church. Yeah, amen. There's many different things that we use to measure church success, amen. I know that as the pastor this afternoon, we have our AGM, our annual general meeting. It happens once a year, and that's this afternoon at 5.30. So I need you here. If you consider this your home church, you need to be here this afternoon at 5.30. But part of what we do is I look at the attendance. I look at how it's trending, whether it's going up, going down. You know, I look at the giving. I look at how much money's coming into the church every week. I look at the different projects we want to get done. I look at different people's spiritual development and how they're tracking. And are they growing in God? Are they staying the same? Or, or are they, they, they shrinking? I hope they're not shrinking. Amen. We don't want people going backwards in their relationship with God. Amen. But my point is, is that there are many, many, many different things that we use to measure how successful a church is. Another thing that people like to use is how many people were baptized. How many people were filled with the Spirit. And, and the greater that number is, the more successful we feel that we are as a church. But my question for you today is how do you think Jesus measures a successful church? Because ultimately, right, however we measure our success as a church is not as important as making sure that we are lined up with what Jesus terms as successful. And over and over in the Scripture, we see Jesus doing things that defy the logic of what makes something successful, right? We see people hanging out. We see Jesus hanging out with the publicans and the sinners. Successful people don't do that. Successful people hang out with the rich and the famous, right? We see Jesus going to a cross. That doesn't seem to be something very successful unless you understand the spiritual significance behind it. Amen? We see Jesus investing into only a few people, not investing into multitudes. Amen. And so Jesus has always seemed to have a different measure of success than perhaps what, if I could use the word loosely, the church, quote unquote, has got. Right? You see lots of Facebook posts. I'm not against Facebook posts, okay? I have no problem. I do it as well. When someone's filled with the Spirit or there's lots of people baptized, you know. Have you ever noticed that the number of likes you get is proportionate to the number of people that are baptized? Think about it. You baptize one or two people. Say, hey, amen. That's praise the Lord. I'll give that a like. You baptize 20 people. Man, that goes viral. Everyone's like, 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 share, share, amazing, praise the Lord, God is good. And God is good. But I wonder if, I just wonder if sometimes as a church, and I'm not talking just about our church, but I just mean Christianity in general, if we ever lose sight of what is important to Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 28. 
for those of you who are in my Connect class, some of what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, you'll have already heard some of. But as we discussed in our Connect group, this is very important for the whole church to be able to hear and to be able to learn and to understand. Amen. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read from verse 19. And I'm just going to read the first part of it because I just want to focus on just this one little part right here. In the New King James Version, it says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. The King James says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. New King James, make disciples. The bottom line, in God's metric of success, is, is a church making disciples? I know, you're all like, wow, that's amazing. See, we get so caught up in measuring things that are important to measure, but I wonder if sometimes we've lose the sight of the fact that the only thing that matters is, is our church making a disciple? A disciple is someone who is committed. A disciple is someone who is faithful. A disciple is someone who is dependable. A disciple is someone who shares their testimony and what they believe in, right? They are a solid part of the body of Christ. And all these things like baptism and infilling of the Holy Spirit, they are all important. They've got to be done. It's got to happen. Amen. We need God's Spirit to, to move in our church. But if that is the end result, that all that's happening is people are being born again, but we're not discipling them, teaching them, training them, building them up, helping them know what it means to be a Christian, then I think we could be missing the point. Amen. Because we need to be a church that makes disciples. That is the bottom line. Disciple making is not an option. It is the end product of the church. That's what we are looking for. right? That's the end product. That's the final stage of a Christian life is I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's where we want to get to. We can have a large Sunday attendance. Right? And we want to grow our church. We want to have more people sitting in here hearing the Word of God every week. Amen? Amen. And we're going to talk a bit about attendance at our AGM. It's all good. It's all going in the right direction. And that's great. But attendance, having just people sitting on chairs for the sake of sitting on chairs is not what the church is about. The church is about making disciples. If people's lives are not changing every day as they walk with God, if people's lives are not growing and becoming more like Jesus every day, then the church is going to miss its mark. Amen? There's an interesting story that I heard where a church just had a phenomenal outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just a massive revival. You know, People just flooded into the church. God's Spirit was just poured out left, right, and center. And, and over a period of about five or six weeks, they just had revival. They had something like 300 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They had just as many people baptized in the name of Jesus. Incredible. The church just exploded. They fast-forwarded about a year, and the pastor stood up 
And he said, if you were one of the people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in those series of services, I want you to stand. Do you know how many people stood up? One person. One person. Everybody else had left. Now that doesn't mean that they'd walked out on God, right? But it meant that as a church, only one person out of the 300 new babies that had been born actually survived for one year. And see, the problem with that model is that we can get caught up in the hype and the excitement and not realize that newborn babies need a lot of work. Don't you just know that? Parents who have had kids. You know when you first have a baby, how wonderful it is? They're so cute and so small and they're just... You've been waiting for them and you're so glad to see them and you're excited and it's just amazing. And then you take them home. Hello. And they wake up at two o'clock to be fed. Not just the first night, but the second night. As a matter of fact, they wake up at 10 o'clock, two o'clock and three o'clock and five o'clock. Not just the first night, but every night. For months and months and months. And the excitement in the hospital of, oh, new baby is so excited. Oh, he's so cute. Look, he's got your nose. He's got your ears. He's got your, oh, it's just so amazing. That's gone. And the parents are walking around with toothpicks in their eyes trying to keep them open because they feel like some sort of a zombie as they're trying to walk around and they've got no sleep in there. You know, it doesn't get any better because then they go to daycare. And then they get every single virus and bug that is in that center. And they bring it home to mom and dad so everybody can be sick together. Isn't it wonderful? You know, that's the stage I'm at right now, right? In my family, it just goes in circles. Either all three of us are sick or two of us are sick or one of us is sick. But there is always someone with a runny nose in my house. Always. Because Jonathan just brings them back and shares them with everybody. You know, he'll be shit telling you his latest rescue bot about three inches from your face and then go, in your face. Like, yeah, thanks for that. Daddy really needed that. Here's the thing. The whole outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when someone gets baptized in the name of Jesus, that's exciting. We love that. That's where everyone's like, yeah, woohoo, this is amazing. But after that has happened... That's when the work begins. Because discipleship, it's, it's not a flashy, exciting, up in lights kind of job. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's roll up your sleeves. It's, it's get into the trenches. It's, 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 it's hard. It's not easy. And here's the thing. Let me just put this out here for everybody. It's not just the pastor's job. Everybody has a part to play in discipleship. I don't know if any of you remember. Who's, who's, okay. who's heard of Britney Spears? Anybody? Surely you've all heard of Britney Spears, right? Okay. Back in 2007, she nearly lost her rights. I don't know if she did or she nearly did to her children. Because she wasn't looking after them very well. 
what do you think, what kind of behavior do you have to do for the government to come in and say, okay, you can't have your kids, you can't look after them, you don't know what you're doing. Think spiritually now. What kind of behavior does a church have to do for the government, i.e. God, whose church this is, to step in and go, uh-uh, I am not sending any more babies your way. You can't even look after the ones you've got. Think about it. This is why discipleship is hard work. This is why making disciples is hard work. Because it's taking a long-term view. It's not just going, right, well, we need to have 50 people filled with the Holy Spirit this year. No, it's what happens after that. That's the hard work of building a church. Amen. Now, why does discipleship fail? Why does discipleship fail? Here's the first reason why I think discipleship fails. Number one, we diminish the significance of the baby we have in pursuit of the one yet to be born. See, we're happy when one person is filled with the Holy Spirit. But we would rather 10 people be filled with the Spirit. Right? And so when one person is filled, we kind of, it's almost like we shunt that off to the side and start looking for someone else who God needs to fill with the Spirit. Right? We've got a baby and we neglect it so that we can go get another one. Right? I think that's why discipleship fails. It's because we get so caught up on, are they baptized? Are they filled with the Spirit? And when that happens... We go tick, put them on a shelf, and go find the next one. We diminish the fact that that is an important part of God's kingdom. That that is an important person that they have value, which is what we've been talking about for the four weeks, in the eyes of God, and that God has brought them here for a purpose, to learn and to grow and to develop as a Christian. And yet so often we diminish the significance of that because we're too busy pursuing a baby. And we want to have another one. And that one's born. We stick that one on a shelf next to one that's like two weeks old. And we go get another one. Meanwhile, there's babies over there that need to be discipled. That need to be taught the Word of God. And so we diminish their importance because they've already ticked that first box. Amen? Amen. So I think that's the first reason. You know, we kind of think that if only God would send us a dozen or a hundred in a revival, then, you know, we'd really do something to take care of them. But my question for our church is, and this is just as much a self-reflection for me, but my question for our church is, what are we doing to look after the one that we've got before we worry about the ten that God's got coming down the track? Because if we can't look after the one, why would God give us more? Think about it. Why would any parent want to pass? Why would God want to give any more kids to a parent that's not looking after the one they've got? Spiritually speaking now. Amen. Hmm. It was Sam Shoemaker who said, Men are not hewn out of the mediocre mass wholesale, but one by one. We don't parent wholesale, do we? Every child is different. Every child is unique. Every child has a different way of looking at life. 
right? And so you don't parent just one style for all your kids. You have a different way of talking to each kid and encouraging each kid. For, for those of you who have had both boys and girls, you know, I've spoken to parents who have had only girls and they have a boy and they're like, my Lord, pastor, what happened? My boys were so good. My girls were so good and quiet and such good. And, and my little boy is running up the walls. Boys are different. We're weird. We like to bring up, you know, Jonathan, I see so many things in Jonathan that, you know, I, I see in myself when I was young as well. You know, he'll, he'll get a stick from the garden and he'll play with it for hours. It's a stick. And one moment it'll be a sword. The next moment it'll be a spaceship. And he'll be running around, you know. And, and, and girls aren't like that. Right? They're different. And when we are spiritual parents, it's the same. God does not just hew out a bunch of people and say, all right, look after all of them. But he sends us people one by one, individuals who need to be connected with a disciple maker one-on-one. So that they can grow and so they can learn. Amen. So I think that's the first reason. We diminish the significance of the baby we have in pursuit of the one yet to be born. Here's the second reason why I think discipleship fails. The grand or the impressive is more attractive than the consistent. The grand, the impressive, the amazing. It's more attractive to us as a church than the consistency of disciple making. Who enjoyed last Sunday? Right? Last Sunday was amazing, wasn't it? It was just incredible. God's spirit just moved. The preaching didn't happen. It was amazing. But let me tell you something. It is not God's will. Hear me now. It is not God's will that every Sunday is like that. Now you're looking at me like, oh, what are you doing, pastor? Oh, heresy, heresy. No, no, no. God wants to move, but God moves equally when his spirit takes over, just as he does through the preaching of his word, right? And so we like what happened last Sunday because it's exciting and it's grand and everyone leaves feeling like, yeah, that's incredible and amazing. But, but it's the consistent preaching of God's Word. It's the consistent development that develops people. Amen. And now when you bring that down to discipleship, it is the consistent investment into someone's life over and over and over again from a disciple maker to a disciple. It's hard work. You've got to do it constantly, constantly, constantly for there to be results. Amen. But so often as a church, we're more excited about the exciting. We want the grand right? We want, we want things to be exciting and pumping, you know. I think many of us, or maybe not many of us, but perhaps we've been guilty of putting time, money, and energy into something that's grand and exciting, but doesn't have any real lasting eternal impact. Think about it. I think the third reason why discipleship often fails is that disciple-making is hard work. It's not easy. 
It's roll up your sleeves, get in the trenches work. Disciple makers don't get a lot of recognition because they work in the background. Disciple makers are the ones that go over to people's house on Wednesday night and do home Bible studies. Disciple makers are the ones that call up someone when they weren't in church on Sunday and say, hey, I want to catch up for a coffee. You got time on Tuesday night? Let's meet up. You know, disciple makers are the ones that invite people over to their house for dinner who have just started coming to the church, right? It's hard work. And see, I think many of us would find it much easier to be able to... I think many of us would find it much easier to preach a sermon or, or to sing a solo or, or, or to play the piano or, or to do something that we just have to do once a week and, and everyone can see what we're doing and everyone claps us and gives us a pat on the back when really the disciple maker, their work is tireless and it's in the background and everybody has to do it. Amen. And so I think that's why many times it, it falls by the wayside in church because we're just like, eh, someone else will do that. I'm, I'm too busy getting ready to worship lead where everyone can see me in my tie. I'm too busy getting ready to preach because, you know, I'm very important like that. I get to preach. Don't talk to me about going over to someone's house at 7.30 in the morning for breakfast with them. No, I'm not going to do that. But that's disciple making. And that's what God measures as success in the church. That's what God measures as important. Amen. So the question that we have to think about is, how do we respond to this as a church? Think about it. How do we need to change as a church? What do we need to change as a church? What kind of things do we need to do as a church, as individuals, to ensure that the spiritual babies that we have and the spiritual babies that are coming are looked after the absolute best of our ability as God helps us? What processes do we need to have as a church to ensure that our disciple making is not hit and miss. That someone who came to church two years ago and was baptized and filled with the Spirit and they're still here two years later. How do we make sure that's just not luck or chance? Obviously, God does a work in people's hearts. But at the same time, God works through the church. God works through people in the church. Because we are the church. Amen. And so we can take actions, we can do things in our walk with God to make sure that more of our babies survive. Praise the Lord. Let me, let me, let me give you a little scenario here. I want you to pick which one you think Jesus would like more. Option one. In the next 12 months, we have an amazing revival. 250 people received the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Imagine the Facebook post on that. Whew. Man, we'd have Brother Downs up here. Like, oh, yes, brother, great church revival here. This is incredible. No, he wouldn't be like that, I'm sure. Right? Newspapers pick up the story. We're printed front page of Cairns Post. Revival in Cairns. Hope divine. Get to church. You're missing out. Wouldn't that be amazing? One year later... One year later, there's five 
of those 250 people who are attending church and growing in Christian maturity. That's option one. Option two, 25 people receive the Holy Spirit in one year. Nobody outside the church really pays attention. There's no reporters, Brother Kenneth, with the Cairns Post coming in to take photos of our amazing church. We don't get a special visit from anyone at headquarters going, wow, what an amazing revival you guys are having. It doesn't even remotely rival what happened at the day of Pentecost. There's no articles. One year later, seven of those 25 are still attending church and continuing to grow in Christ. Which one of those two scenarios do you think Jesus would be most pleased with? Yes, you're. Number two. He's got it in first. Amen. Number two. Because that is what Jesus is more concerned about. What is happening with the babies that he is sending us? Right? Any one of us could have as many kids as we wanted. But that doesn't mean we should. (laughs) Amen, Brother Kenneth. Right? As a church, yes, we would love to have the grand. We would love to have the exciting. I'm looking forward to a day when we will have 250 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our church. But it's not going to happen until we learn how to take care of the 25 first. Until we can get that down track, until we can get that worked out, God's not going to send more babies to a church that can't look after them. And that means every single one of us need to get involved. Here's the problem, though. The problem is, is we often compare what's happening in our church to other churches. You ever heard that saying, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence? Well, we had two people filled with the Holy Spirit last night. Well, we had eight at our church. Oh, wow. That's amazing. We baptized five people. Oh, our church baptized 25. Amen. And don't, don't kid yourselves. I look at other churches as well sometimes and I go, huh, why can't we be like that? Why don't we have that going on in our church? What's going on, Lord? But the Bible says that those who compare themselves amongst themselves are not wise. I would rather as a church we are focused on just getting one but making sure that one knows everything they can know about Jesus and that they are coming to church and that they are supporting the church with their giving and that they are reaching for other people and that they are growing and that they are learning. right? Because it is not the grand that God is impressed with. It's what is happening with them afterwards. Amen? And the problem is, is that we often get disillusioned when we look at what's going on in other churches. So I encourage all of us, myself included, right? We need to look at what God's doing in our church and focus on what God is doing in our church and look around us and go, right, who's the new baby in the church? Who's the new one that God has given us? How can we help them grow? How can we encourage them? How can we build them up? How can we fellowship with them? How can we get them to know more about Jesus? Amen? Because here's the thing. Do you know you're an odd bunch of people? Me too. We're pretty weird. Have you ever stopped to think about 
some of the things we say and some of the songs we sing and some of the things that happen in church. The problem is, is that if we are only focused on the grand, we lose the fact that people come into our church and wonder what in the world is going on here. These people are crazy. These people are a couple fries short of a Happy Meal. These guys are bananas. Right? This is where disciple making is so important because they realize that when we meet up with them outside of church hours, we're not that mysterious. We just know Jesus. We're just normal people. Amen? This is why it's so important that we don't just, you know, it's so easy in a church just to create our own little social bubble. Amen? And someone new comes in and they don't fit into our bubble. And so we don't talk to them and we don't smile at them and we don't look at them. and We can't be like that. That's not a disciple-making church. Amen? I know this is, this is an interesting topic and I'm just kind of going as the Spirit leads me. Do you think it's possible for a baby to starve in the presence of good healthy food? Could you imagine you bring home a newborn baby from the hospital? Two weeks later, you're back in emergency. The baby's about to die because it hasn't eaten. And the doctor says to you, have you been feeding your child? And you go, oh, yes, absolutely. I put a nice sirloin steak in front of that child every single day, like a $20 steak. And he didn't eat it. And I was like, what are you doing, baby? Eat the steak. It's good for you. You need to eat. Hello. What do you think the doctor would say? Have you got rocks in your head? <laughs> right? A baby needs milk, don't they? Right? A baby needs something that's more appropriate for their age. And this is the other reason why disciple making is so important. Because a lot of times in our church, we're delivering up steak. And a new baby comes in, and they go, I got no idea what the preacher's talking about. I got no idea what the pastor's saying. But if there is a disciple maker who comes alongside them and breaks it down for them, because this is what we've got to avoid. We can't have a church where the babies starve because we're serving up good teaching and good preaching all the time. That doesn't need to stop. We've got to keep doing that. But as a church, we need to be intentional about looking after the babies that God has given us. Amen. We need to be intentional about doing these things. Otherwise, our church is never going to grow. Because God will never send babies to a church where they're going to starve. It's as simple as that. Praise the Lord. If you've got your Bibles... Turn with me to the book of Job. I'm going to read one scripture. Because for your homework, I want you to read this scripture at home. And I want you to start thinking about what it means. Job chapter 39. And we're going to read from verse, 
We'll read from verse 13. Job chapter 39 and verse 13. This is your homework. I want you to read this scripture at home. And I want you to think about what it means and how does it apply to our church and how does it apply to disciple making. Ready? Here we go. Job chapter 39, verse 13, it says, Givest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? Everyone say ostrich. Which leaves her eggs in the earth and warms them in the dust and forgets that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because God has deprived her of wisdom, neither has he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifts up herself on high, she scorns the horse and his rider. That's an interesting passage of Scripture, isn't it? So why don't we all stand this morning? Because here's my homework for you. I want you to read that scripture. And I don't want you to read it just once. I want you to read it and read it and read it. Read it. Hmm? Job chapter 39. Job. J-O-B. Job. 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 39. Verses 13 to 18. And I don't want you just to read it once, but I want you to read it and read it and read it and read it. Read it four or five times every day. Just that passage of Scripture until it really starts getting into your mind and start thinking about how does this apply to our church? How does this apply to disciple making? Praise the Lord. Why don't we just close our eyes. Let's talk to the Lord in prayer right now. Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you, Lord.